0: Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tonight, I will be continuing the story of Anne of Green Gables. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Chapter 6. Marilla Makes Up Her Mind Get there they did, however, in due season. Mrs. Spencer lived in a big yellow house at White Sands Cove and she came to the door with surprise and welcome mingled on her benevolent face. "'Dare, dare,' she exclaimed. "'You're the last folks I was looking for today, "'but I'm real glad to see you. "'You'll put your horse in? "'And how are you, Anne?' I'm as well as can be expected, thank you, said Anne, smilelessly. A blight seemed to have descended on her. I suppose we'll stay a little while to rest the mare," said Marilla, but I promised Matthew I'd be home early. The fact is, Mrs. Spencer, there's been a mistake somewhere, and I've come over to see where it is. We sent word, Matthew and I, for you to bring us a boy from the asylum, We told your brother, Robert, to tell you we wanted a boy, ten or eleven years old. Marilla Cuthbert, you don't say so, said Mrs. Spencer, in distress. Why, Robert sent word down by his daughter, Nancy, and she said you wanted a girl, didn't she, Flora Jane, appealing to her daughter, who'd come out to the steps. She certainly did, Miss Cuthbert, corroborated Flora Jane earnestly. I'm dreadful sorry, said Mrs. Spencer. It's too bad, but it certainly wasn't my fault, you see, Miss Cuthbert. I did the best I could, and I thought I was following your instructions. Nancy is a terrible flighty thing. I've often had to scold her well for her heedlessness. It was our own fault, said Marilla resignedly. We should have come to you ourselves, and not left an important message to be passed along by word of mouth. In that fashion. Anyhow, the mistake has been made, and the only thing to do is to set it right. Can we send the child back to the asylum? I suppose they'll take her back, won't they? I suppose so, said Mrs. Spencer thoughtfully. But I don't think it would be necessary to send her back. Mrs. Peter Blewett was up here yesterday, and she was saying to me how much she wished. She'd sent by me for a little girl to help her. Mrs. Peter has a large family, you know, and she finds it hard to get help. Anne will be the very girl for you. I call it positively providential. Marilla did not look as if she thought providence had much to do with the matter. Here was an unexpectedly good chance to get this unwelcome orphan off her hands, and she did not even feel grateful for it. She knew Mrs. Peter Blewett, only by sight, as a small, sureish-faced woman, without an ounce of superfluous flesh on her bones. But she had heard of her. A terrible worker and driver, Mrs. Peter was said to be, and discharged servant girls told fearsome tales of her temper and stinginess, and her family of pert, quarrelsome children. Marilla felt her qualm of conscience of the thought of handing Anne over to her tender mercies. Well, I'll go in and we'll talk the matter over, she said. And if there isn't Mrs. Peter coming up the lane this blessed minute, exclaimed Mrs. Spencer, bustling her guests through the hall into the parlour, where a deadly chill struck on them, as if the air had been strained so long through dark green closely drawn blinds that it had lost every particle of warmth it had ever possessed. That is real lucky, for we can settle the matter right away. Take the armchair, Miss Cuthbert. Anne, you sit here on the ottoman, and don't wiggle. Let me take your hats. Flora Jane, go out and put the kettle on. Good afternoon, Mrs. Blewett. We were just saying how fortunate it was you happened along. Let me introduce you two ladies. Mrs. Blewett, Miss Cuthbert. Please excuse me for just a moment. I forgot to tell Flora Jane to take the buns out of the oven. Mrs. Spencer whisked away after pulling off the blinds. Anne, sitting mutely on the ottoman, with her hands clasped tightly in her lap, stared at Mrs. Blewett as one fascinated. Was she to be given into the keeping of this sharp-faced, sharp-eyed woman? She felt a lump coming up in her throat, and her eyes smarted painfully. She was beginning to be afraid she couldn't keep the tears back. When Mrs. Spencer returned, flushed and beaming, quite capable of taking any and every difficulty, physical, mental, or spiritual, into consideration, and settling it out of hand. It seems there's been a mistake about this little girl, Mrs. Blewett, she said. I was under the impression that Mr. and Miss Cuthbert wanted a little girl to adopt. I was certainly told so but it seems it was a boy they wanted. So if you're still of the same mind you were yesterday, I think she'll be just the thing for you. Mrs. Blewett darted her eyes over Anne from head to foot. How old are you, and what's your name? she demanded. Anne Shirley, faltered the shrinking child, not daring to make any stipulations regarding the spelling thereof. And I'm eleven years old. Hmm. You don't look as if there was much to you. But you're wiry. I don't know, but the wiry ones are the best, after all. Well, if I take you, you'll have to be a good girl, you know. Good and smart. And respectful. I'll expect you to earn your keep, and no mistake about that. Yes, I suppose I might as well take her off your hands, Miss Cuthbert. The baby is awful fractious, and I'm clean worn out attending to him. If you like, I can take her home right now. Marilla looked at Anne and softened at sight of the child's pale face with its look of mute misery. The misery of a helpless little creature who finds itself once more caught in the trap from which it had escaped. Marilla felt an uncomfortable conviction that, if she denied the appeal of that look, it would haunt her to her dying day. Moreover, she did not fancy Mrs. Blewett to hand a sensitive, high strung child over to such a woman or she could not take the responsibility of doing that. Well, I don't know, she said slowly. I didn't say that Matthew and I had absolutely decided that we wouldn't keep her. In fact, I may say that Matthew is disposed to keep her. I just came over to find out how the mistake had occurred. I think I'd better take her home again and talk it over with Matthew. I feel that I oughtn't to decide on anything without consulting him. If we make up our mind not to keep her, we'll bring or send her over to you tomorrow night. If we don't, you may know that she's going to stay with us. Will that suit you, Mrs. Blewett? I suppose it'll have to, said Mrs. Blewett, ungraciously. During Miller's speech, a sunrise had been dawning on Anne's face. First the look of despair faded out. Then came a faint flush of hope. Her eyes grew deep and bright as morning stars. The child was quite transfigured, and a moment later, when Mrs. Spencer and Mrs. Blewett went out in quest of a recipe the latter had come to borrow, she sprang up and flew across the room to Marilla. Oh, Miss Cuthbert, did you really say that perhaps you would let me stay at Green Gables? she said, in a breathless whisper, as if speaking aloud might shatter the glorious possibility. Did you really say it? Or did I only imagine that you did? I think you'd better learn to control that imagination of yours, Anne, if you can't distinguish between what is real and what isn't, said Marilla crossly. Yes, you did hear me say just that, and no more. It isn't decided yet, and perhaps we will conclude to let Mrs. Bluett take you after all. She certainly needs you much more than I do. I'd rather go back to the asylum than go to live with her, said Anne passionately. She looks exactly like a... like a gimlet. Marilla smothered a smile under the conviction that Anne must be reproved for such a speech. "'A little girl like you should be ashamed of talking so "'about a lady and a stranger,' she said severely. "'Go back and sit down quietly and hold your tongue "'and behave as a good girl should.' "'I'll try to do and be anything you want me "'if you'll only keep me,' said Anne, "'returning meekly to her ottoman.' "'When they arrived back at Green Gables that evening,' Matthew met them in the lane. Marilla from afar had noted him prowling along it and guessed his motive. She was prepared for the relief she read in his face when she saw that she had at least brought Anne back with her. But she said nothing to him relative to the affair until they were both out in the yard behind the barn milking the cows. Then she briefly told him Anne's history and the result of the interview with Mrs. Spencer. I wouldn't give a dog. I liked to that blued woman, said Matthew with unusual vim. I don't fancy her style myself, admitted Marilla. But it's that or keeping her ourselves, Matthew. And since you seem to want her, I suppose I'm willing, or have to be. I've been thinking over the idea until I've kind of got used to it. It seems a sort of duty. I've never brought up a child, especially a girl. And I dare say I'll make a terrible mess of it. But I'll do my best. So far as I'm concerned, Matthew, she may stay. Matthew's shy face was a glow of delight. Well now, I reckon you'd come to see it in that light, Marilla, he said. She's such an interesting little thing. It'd be more to the point if you could say she was a useful little thing, retorted Marilla. But I'll make it my business to see she's trained to be that. And mind, Matthew, you're not to go interfering with my methods. Perhaps an old maid doesn't know much about bringing up a child, but I guess she knows more than an old bachelor. So you just leave me to manage her. When I fail, it'll be time enough to put your oar in. There, there, Marilla. You can have your own way, said Matthew reassuringly. Only be as good and kind to her as you can without spoiling her. I kind of think she's one of the sort you can do anything with if you only get her to love you. Marilla sniffed to express her contempt for Matthew's opinions concerning anything feminine, and walked off to the dairy with the pails. I won't tell her tonight that she can stay, she reflected, as she strained the milk into the creamers. She'd be so excited that she wouldn't sleep a wink. Marilla Cuthbert, you're fairly in for it. Did you ever suppose you'd see the day when you'd be adopting an orphan girl? It's surprising enough, but not so surprising as that Matthew should be at the bottom of it, Him that always seemed to have such a mortal dread of little girls. Anyway, we've decided on the experiment. Goodness only knows what will come of it. Chapter 7 Anne Says Her Prayers When Marilla took Anne up to bed that night, she said stiffly, Now, Anne, I noticed last night that you threw your clothes all about the floor when you took them off. That is a very untidy habit, and I can't allow it at all. As soon as you take off any article of clothing, fold it neatly and place it on the chair. I haven't any use at all for little girls who aren't neat. I was so harrowed up in my mind last night that I didn't think about my clothes at all, said Anne. I'll fold them nicely tonight. They always made us do that at the asylum. Half the time, though, I'd forget. I'd be in such a hurry to get into bed, nice and quiet, and imagine things. You'll have to remember a little better if you stay here, admonished Marilla. There. That looks something like. Say your prayers now and get into bed. I never say any prayers, announced Anne. Marilla looked horrified. Why, Anne, what do you mean? Were you never taught to say your prayers? God always wants little girls to say their prayers. Don't you know who God is, Anne? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, responded Anne promptly and glibly. Marilla looked rather relieved. So you do know something then, thank goodness. You're not quite a heathen. Where did you learn that? Oh, at the Asylum Sunday School. They made us learn the whole catechism. I liked it pretty well. There's something splendid about some of the words. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Isn't that grand? It has such a role to it, just like a big organ playing. You couldn't quite call it poetry, I suppose, but it sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? We're not talking about poetry, Anne. We're talking about saying your prayers. Don't you know it's a terrible, wicked thing not to say your prayers every night? I'm afraid you're a very bad little girl. You'd find it easier to be bad than good if you had red hair, said Anne reproachfully. People who haven't red hair don't know what trouble is. Mrs. Thomas told me that God made my hair red on purpose, and I've never cared about him since. And anyhow, I'd always be too tired at night to bother saying prayers. People who have to look after twins can't be expected to say their prayers. Now, do you honestly think they can? Marilla decided that Anne's religious training must begin at once. Plainly, there was no time to be lost. You must say your prayers while you're under my roof, Anne. Why, of course, if you want me to, assented Anne cheerfully. I'd do anything to oblige you. Will you have to tell me what to say for this once? After I get into bed... I'll imagine out a real nice prayer to say always. I believe that it would be quite interesting, now that I come to think of it. You must kneel down, said Marilla in embarrassment. Anne knelt at Marilla's knee and looked up gravely. Why must people kneel down to pray? If I really wanted to pray, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go out into a great big field all alone, or into the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky. Up, 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 into that lovely blue sky that looks as if there was no end to its blueness. And then I'd just feel a prayer. Well, I'm ready. What am I to say? Marilla felt more embarrassment than ever. She had intended to teach Anne the childish classic, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. But she had, as I have told you, the glimmerings of a sense of humour, which is simply another name for a sense of fitness of things, and it suddenly occurred to her that that simple little prayer, sacred to white-robed childhood lisping at motherly knees, was entirely unsuited to this freckled witch of a girl who knew and cared nothing about God's love, since she had never had it translated to her through the medium of human love. You're old enough to pray for yourself, Anne, she said, finally. Just thank God for your blessings and ask Him humbly for the things you want. Well, I'll do my best, promised Anne, burying her face in Marilla's lap. Gracious Heavenly Father, that's the way the ministers say it in church, so I suppose it's all right in private prayer, isn't it? she interjected, lifting her head for a moment. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank Thee for the White Way of Delight and the Lake of Shining Waters and Bonnie and the Snow Queen. I'm really extremely grateful for them. And that's all the blessings I can think of just now to thank thee for. As for the things I want, they're so numerous that it would take a great deal of time to name them all, so I will only mention the two most important. Please let me stay at Green Gables, and please let me be good-looking when I grow up. I remain yours respectfully Anne Shirley. There. Did I do it all right? she asked, eagerly, getting up. I could have made it much more flowery if I'd had a little more time to think it over. Marilla was only preserved from complete collapse by remembering that it was not irreverence, but simply spiritual ignorance on the part of Anne that was responsible for this extraordinary petition. She tucked the child up in bed, mentally vowing that she should be taught a prayer the very next day and was leaving the room with a light when Anne called her back. I've just thought of it now. I should have said amen in place of yours respectfully, shouldn't I? The way the ministers do. I'd forgotten it, but I felt a prayer should be finished off in some way, so I put in the other. Do you suppose it will make any difference? "I, I don't suppose it will, said Marilla. Go to sleep now like a good child. Good night. I can say goodnight tonight with a clear conscience, said Anne, cuddling luxuriously down among her pillows. Marilla retreated to the kitchen, set the candle firmly on the table, and glared at Matthew. Matthew Cuthbert, it's about time somebody adopted that child and taught her something. She's next door to a perfect heathen. Will you believe that she's never said a prayer in her life till tonight? I'll send her to the manse tomorrow. And borrow the Peep of the Day series. That's what I'll do. And she shall go to Sunday school. Just as soon as I can get some suitable clothes made for her. I foresee that I shall have my hands full. Well, well. We can't get through this world without our share of trouble. I've had a pretty easy life of it so far. But my time has come at last. And I suppose I'll just have to make the best of it. Chapter 8 Anne's Bringing Up Is Begun. For reasons best known to herself, Marilla did not tell Anne that she was to stay at Green Gables until the next afternoon. During the forenoon, she kept the child busy with various tasks and watched over her with a keen eye while she did them. By noon, she had concluded that Anne was smart and obedient, willing to work, and quick to learn. Her most serious shortcoming seemed to be a tendency to fall into daydreams in the middle of a task. And forget all about it until such time as she was sharply recalled to earth by a reprimand or a catastrophe. When Anne had finished washing the dinner dishes, she suddenly confronted Marilla with the air and expression of one desperately determined to learn the worst. Her thin little body trembled from head to foot, her face flushed, and her eyes dilated until they were almost black. She clasped her hands tightly and said in an imploring voice, Oh, please, Miss Cuthbert, won't you tell me if you're going to send me away or not? I've tried to be patient all the morning, but I really feel that I cannot bear not knowing any longer. It's a dreadful feeling. Please tell me. You haven't scalded the dishcloth in hot, clean water, as I told you to do, said Marilla immovably. Just go do it before you ask me any more questions, Anne. Anne went and attended to the dishcloth. Then she returned to Marilla, and fastened imploring eyes on the latter's face. "'Well,' said Marilla, unable to find any excuse for deferring her explanation longer, "'I suppose I might as well tell you. "'Matthew and I have decided to keep you. "'That is, if you will try to be a good little girl "'and show yourself grateful.' "'Why, child, whatever is the matter?' "'I'm crying,' said Anne, in a tone of bewilderment. "'I can't think why.' I'm as glad as glad can be. Oh, glad doesn't seem the right word at all. I was glad about the white way and the cherry blossoms, but this, oh, it's something more than glad. I'm so happy. I'll try to be so good. It will be uphill work, I expect, for Mrs. Thomas often told me I was desperately wicked. However, I'll do my very best. But can you tell me why I'm crying? I suppose it's because you're all excited and worked up, said Marilla, disapprovingly. Sit down on that chair and try to calm yourself. I'm afraid you both cry and laugh far too easily. Yes, you can stay here, and we will try to do right by you. You must go to school, but it's only a fortnight till vacation, so it isn't worthwhile for you to start before it opens again in September. What am I to call you? asked Anne. Shall I always say Miss Cuthbert? Can I call you Aunt Marilla? No, you call me just plain Marilla. I'm not used to being called Miss Cuthbert, and it would make me nervous. It sounds awfully disrespectful to just say Marilla," protested Anne. "I guess there'll be nothing disrespectful in it, if you're careful to speak respectfully. Everybody, young and old in Avonlea, calls me Marilla, except the minister. He says Miss Cuthbert when he thinks of it. I'd love to call you Aunt Marilla, said Anne wistfully. I've never had an aunt, or any relation at all, not even a grandmother. It would make me feel as if I really belonged to you. Can't I call you Aunt Marilla? No, I'm not your aunt, and I don't believe in calling people names that don't belong to them. But we could imagine you were my aunt. I couldn't, said Marilla grimly. Do you never imagine things different from what they really are? asked Anne, wide-eyed. No. Oh, Anne drew a long breath. Oh, Miss Marilla, how much you miss. I don't believe in imagining things different from what they really are, retorted Marilla. When the Lord puts us in certain circumstances, he doesn't mean for us to imagine them away. And that reminds me, go into the sitting room, Anne, be sure your feet are clean, and don't let any flies in and bring me out the illustrated card that's on the mantelpiece. The Lord's prayer is on it, and you'll devote your spare time this afternoon to learning it off by heart. There's to be no more of such praying as I heard last night. I suppose I was very awkward, said Anne apologetically, but then, you see, I've never had any practice. You couldn't really expect a person to pray very well the first time she tried, could you? I thought out a splendid prayer after I went to bed just as I promised you I would. It was nearly as long as a minister's and so poetical. But would you believe it? I couldn't remember one word when I woke up this morning, and I'm afraid I'll never be able to think out another one so good. Somehow, things never are so good when they're thought out a second time. Have you ever noticed that? Here is something for you to notice, Anne. When I tell you to do a thing, I want you to obey me at once and not stand stock still and discourse about it. Just you go and do as I bid you. Anne promptly departed for the sitting room across the hall. She failed to return. After waiting ten minutes, Marilla laid down her knitting and marched after her with a grim expression. She found Anne standing motionless before a picture hanging on the wall between the two windows, with her eyes astar with dreams. The white and green light strained through apple trees and clustering vines outside fell over the rapt little figure with a half-unearthly radiance. Anne, whatever are you thinking of, demanded Marilla sharply. Anne came back to earth with a start. That, she said, pointing to the picture, a rather vivid chromo entitled Christ Blessing Little Children. And I was just imagining I was one of them that I was a little girl in the blue dress, standing off by herself in the corner, as if she didn't belong to anybody like me. She looks lonely and sad, don't you think? I guess she hadn't any father or mother of her own, but she wanted to be blessed too, so she just crept up shyly on the outside of the crowd, hoping nobody would notice her except him. I'm sure I know just how she felt. Her heart... Have beat and her hands must have got cold like mine did when I asked you if I could stay. She was afraid he mightn't notice her, but it's likely he did, don't you think? I've been trying to imagine it all out, her edging a little nearer all the time until she was quite close to him, and then he would look at her and put his hand on her hair, and oh, such a thrill of joy as would run over her. But I wish the artist hadn't painted him so sorrowful looking. All his pictures are like that, if you've noticed. But I don't believe he could really have looked so sad, or the children would have been afraid of him. Anne, said Marilla, wondering why she had not broken into this speech long before. You shouldn't talk that way. It's irreverent. Positively irreverent. Anne's eyes marveled. Well, I felt just as reverent as could be. I'm sure I didn't mean to be irreverent. Well, I don't suppose you did but it doesn't sound right to talk so familiarly about such things. And another thing, Anne, when I send you after something, you're to bring it at once and not fall into mooning and imagining before pictures. Remember that. Take that card and come right into the kitchen. Now sit down in the corner and learn that prayer off by heart. Anne set the card up against the jug full of apple blossoms she had brought in to decorate the dinner table. Marilla had eyed that decoration askance, but it said nothing, propped her chin on her hands, and fell to studying it intently for several silent minutes. I like this, she announced at length. It's beautiful. I've heard it before. I heard the superintendent at the asylum Sunday school say it over once, but I didn't like it then. He had such a cracked voice and he prayed it so mournfully. I really felt sure he thought praying was a disagreeable duty. This isn't poetry but it makes me feel just the way poetry does. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is just like a line of music. I'm so glad you thought of making me learn this, Miss Marilla. Well, learn it and hold your tongue, said Marilla shortly. Anne tipped the vase of apple blossoms near enough to bestow a soft kiss on a pink-cupped bud and then studied diligently for some moments longer. Marilla, she demanded presently. Do you think that I shall ever have a bosom friend in Avonlea? Uh, A what kind of friend? A bosom friend. An intimate friend, you know. A really kindred spirit to whom I can confide my inmost soul. I've dreamed of meeting her all my life. I never really supposed I would. But so many of my loveliest dreams have come true all at once, that perhaps this one will too. Do you think it's possible? Diana Barry lives over at Orchard Slope, and she's about your age. She's a very nice little girl, and perhaps she will be a playmate for you when she comes home. She's visiting her aunt over at Carmody just now. You'll have to be careful how you behave yourself, though. Mrs. Barry is a very particular woman. She won't let Diana play with any little girl who isn't nice and good. Anne looked at Marilla through the apple blossoms, her eyes aglow with interest. What is Diana like? Her hair isn't red, is it? Oh, I hope not. It's bad enough to have red hair myself, but I possibly couldn't endure it in a bosom friend. Diana is a very pretty little girl. She has black eyes and hair and rosy cheeks. And she is good and smart, which is better than being pretty. Marilla was as fond of morals as the Duchess in Wonderland and was firmly convinced that one should be tacked onto every remark made to a child who was being brought up. But Anne waved the moral inconsequently aside and seized only on the delightful possibilities before it. I'm so glad she's pretty. Next to being beautiful oneself, and that's impossible in my case, it would be best to have a beautiful bosom friend. When I lived with Mrs. Thomas, she had a bookcase in her sitting room with glass doors. There weren't any books in it. Mrs. Thomas kept her best china and her preserves there, when she had any preserves to keep. One of the doors was broken. Mr. Thomas smashed it one night when he was slightly intoxicated. But the other was whole, and I used to pretend that my reflection in it was another little girl who lived in it. I called her Katie Maurice, and we were very intimate. I used to talk to her by the hour, especially on Sunday, and tell her everything. Katie was the comfort and consolation of my life. We used to pretend that the bookcase was enchanted, and that if I only knew the spell, I could open the door and step right into the room where Katie lived, instead of into Mrs. Thomas's shelves of preserves and China. And then Katie Maurice would have taken me by the hand and led me out into a wonderful place, all flowers and sunshine and fairies, and we would have lived there happy forever after. When I went to live with Mrs. Hammond, it just broke my heart to leave Katie. She felt it dreadfully, too. I know she did for she was crying when she kissed me goodbye through the bookcase door. There was no bookcase at Mrs. Hammond's, but just up the river a little way from the house there was a long green little valley, and the loveliest echo lived there. It echoed back every word you said, even if you didn't talk a bit loud. So I imagined that it was a little girl called Violetta, and we were great friends, and I loved her almost as well as I loved Katie. Not quite, but almost, you know. The night before I went to the asylum, I said goodbye to Violetta, and oh, her goodbye came back to me in such sad, sad tones. I'd become so attached to her that I hadn't the heart to imagine a bosom friend at the asylum, even if there had been any scope for imagination there. I think it's just as well there wasn't, said Marilla dryly. I don't approve of such goings-on. You seem to half believe your own imaginations. It would be well for you to have a real, live friend to put such nonsense out of your head. But don't let Mrs. Barry hear you talk about your Katie Maurice's and your Violetta's, or she'll think you tell stories. Oh, I won't. I couldn't talk of them to everybody. Their memories are too sacred for that. But I thought I'd like to have you know about them. Oh, look. Here's a big bee just tumbled out of an apple blossom. Just think what a lovely place to live in an apple blossom. Fancy going to sleep in it when the wind was rocking it. If I wasn't a human girl, I think I'd like to be a bee and live among the flowers. Yesterday you wanted to be a seagull, sniffed Marilla. I think you're very fickle-minded. I told you to learn that prayer and not talk. But it seems impossible for you to stop talking if you've got anybody that will listen to you. So go up to your room and learn it. Oh, I know it pretty nearly all now. All but just the last line. Well, never mind do as I tell you. Go to your room and finish learning it well, and stay there until I call you down to help me get tea. Can I take the apple blossoms with me for company? pleaded Anne. No. You don't want your room cluttered up with flowers. You should have left them on the tree in the first place. I did feel a little that way too, said Anne. I kind of felt I shouldn't shorten their lovely lives by picking them. I wouldn't want to be picked if I were an apple blossom." but the temptation was irresistible. What do you do when you're met with an irresistible temptation? Anne, did you hear me tell you go to your room? Anne sighed, retreated to the east gable, and sat down in a chair by the window. There, I know this prayer. I learned that last sentence coming upstairs. Now I'm going to imagine things into this room so that they'll always stay imagined. The floor is covered with a white velvet carpet with pink roses all over it and there are pink silk curtains at the windows. The walls are hung with gold and silver brocade tapestry. The furniture is mahogany. I never saw any mahogany, but it does sound so luxurious. This is a couch all heaped with gorgeous silken cushions, pink and blue and crimson and gold, and I am reclining gracefully on it. I can see my reflection in that splendid big mirror hanging on the wall. I am tall, regal, and clad in a gown of trailing white lace with a pearl cross on my breast and pearls in my hair. My hair is of midnight darkness, and my skin is a clear, ivory pallor. My name is Lady Cordelia Fitzgerald. No, it isn't. I can't make that seem real. She danced up to the little-looking glass and peered into it. Her pointed, freckled face and solemn grey eyes peered back at her. You're only Anne of Green Gables, she said earnestly. And I see you, just as you are looking now, whenever I try to imagine I'm the Lady Cordelia. But it's a million times nicer to be Anne of Green Gables than Anne of nowhere in particular, isn't it? She bent forward, kissed her reflection affectionately, and betook herself to the open window. Dear Snow Queen, good afternoon. good afternoon, dear birches down in the hollow. And good afternoon, dear grey house up on the hill. I wonder if Diana is to be my bosom friend. I hope she will, and I shall love her very much. But I must never quite forget Katie, Maurice, and Violetta. They would feel so hurt if I did, and I'd hate to hurt anybody's feelings, even the little bookcase girls or little echo girls. I must be careful to remember them and send them a kiss every day. Anne blew a couple of airy kisses from her fingertips past the cherry blossoms and then, with her chin in her hands, drifted luxuriously out on a sea of daydreams. Good night.